I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Hey, Mr. Binks, you know I'm always worrying about things like grass seeds or bits of glass and the like when we're out and about. Well, that's why we're jumping on Zoom now to talk to the amazing vet nurse, Rachel Bean, about why it's important to have a first aid kit at home, but also to think about taking one out with you on your regular walks. Rachel Bean, what a pleasure it is to have you on A Dog's Life. Ah, thank you for asking me. Yeah, great. Not at all. Now, you are a veterinary nurse, but you're a different veterinary nurse in so much as you believe in raw food feeding and you also offer behaviour advice as well as, of course, first aid advice, which is what we're going to talk about today as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I started my career... Oh, goodness, way back in 1994, um, I actually worked at the Dogs Trust. I was a Dogs Trust kennel um, assistant kennel manager for two years. So between 1994 and 96, I was with the Dogs Trust. Um, then it was a brand new kennel. So what happened was, um, as it become, you know, full capacity, um, I was doing less with the dogs. It was more staffing issues and ordering and numbers and things like that. So I just applied within a hundred mile radius um, of, of the Northeast. And that brought me down to the Manchester area to train as a veterinary nurse. So I've actually been in veterinary practice since 1996. Um, it's just the last 10 or 12 years, I've used my veterinary degree to um, diversify really, which has taken me into these, these other avenues. Yeah, that, that we're going to talk about, yeah. Well, Rachel, my word, from 1996, gosh, you must have seen, you know, the industry kind of really shift, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, you know, the big corporates are taking over and it's got good and bad sides, really. But um, I think the main thing, problem we're having at the moment is recruitment. Um, you know, veterinary practices are, are short-staffed vets and veterinary nurses. Um, it's, and it's, it's been a bit of a crisis at the moment, actually. Um, and I'm still in practice. I've never left practice. I just, I just dropped my days to become a locum veterinary nurse. So that basically means you can pick and choose when and where you want to work. Um, and that gave me the flexibility of doing traveling and and um doing my own projects um but yeah um I'm, I'm still in practice two days a week so i work mondays and tuesdays um and the occasional fridays but um the small practice that i'm at at the moment um would have me full time again because yeah short staffed uh, and that's one of the biggest the biggest changes i think is 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 recruitment issues yeah because um i mean it's a lot of it's down to brexit isn't it I think. yeah it is it is yeah and a lot of a lot of it's down to stress as well. We have a lot of people dropping out because of um, stress, and you know, as we know, the veterinary profession has got the highest rate, suicide rate. Um, and I've certainly lost um, three colleagues during COVID, um, and probably about seven colleagues um, during my whole career as, as a veterinary nurse. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, yeah, that really is quite a sobering. It brings it home. I'm so sorry, you know, to hear that. You know, because, yeah, I. I always think, yes, being a vet must be really, really stressful. One minute 
you're welcoming a, you know, an eight week puppy into someone's life, you know, giving them their first booster jab. And then, you know, you're euthanizing them, you know, 15 mm. years later, and you might have just finished that. You know what I mean? So you're yes, going it's, it's to a roller coaster. coaster. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But certainly vet nurses really play such a fundamental role. You know, over the years when I've had a panic about one of my dogs, you know, you ring up the emergency practice, it is the vet nurse that yes. you speak to and I mean you know you know I've praised because you've got to keep your cool you know because you're dealing with a hysterical person i.e me and you know you need to calm the human down and get some sense out of them yes yes we're we're kind of the conduit the link between the the client and the vet really you know we're the communicator and um we're we're usually um yeah first first on the scene usually yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But you're doing a lot to help people, which I love, with simple steps to yes. offer the sort of first step when you're at home, something's happened with your advice and your first aid tips. People mm. can think, right, OK, I know what to do initially, get things under control, then ring the vets. Yes, yeah. And I started teaching canine first aid probably about 17 or 18 years ago. Um, and it started with the local RSPCA branch. They just wanted some staff training. And so I popped in and did a couple of hours. And then another local branch heard about it and said, oh, well, you come and do our staff. And then it kind of just snowballed from there, really, um, to a point now where I'm, you know, I'm busy every weekend, literally <laughs> teaching all over the UK. Um, and what I try to bring is, uh, and definitely in the last five or six Six years has been a little bit of an influx of everybody's jumping on the bandwagon and teaching canine first aid which is great because the more the more owners know about canine first aid the better but what 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 I want to do with veterinary um, professional tutors is take it the next level and um, teach pet professionals so um, we need really good concrete and higher level canine first aid uh, knowledge out there to the pet professionals because at the moment somebody looking after your dog for two weeks while you're on holiday legally doesn't necessarily have to have canine first aid knowledge and that's what we're trying to change we're trying to make it mandatory um that any pet professional has a canine first aid qualification um and raising the standard of the canine first aid training as well because um through the grapevine i do hear <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what people are teaching I'm like oh why are they teaching that that's wrong Um, so we're trying to standardize it and make sure it is really good quality knowledge that's been imparted as well yeah I love this I absolutely love this I mean uh, Sam Gaines often comes on um, yes, the pod. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because um, I must admit you know I've never used a dog walker I don't honestly see the point the reason for getting a dog <laughs> I think it's a no-brainer is that you walk it um, yes. and <laughs> yes. if you don't have a life that allows that you know it really yeah you should get a cat you yes. know I spent I spent years wanting a dog and couldn't have one I mean years I didn't get my first dog till I was 37 you know as a grown-up yeah. living on my own yeah. because there were no dog walking services before 2002 yeah they so now even... now yeah. it's a penny everywhere yeah. exactly exactly <laughs> I see them every day Rachel you know and this the whole first aid aspect of courses is absolutely essential okay so I, I mean I've done two first aid courses you're not yours I, I know but you you know, I found them really, really, really interesting. I mean, I yes. remember when Molly died um, at home uh, two in the morning, part one of the first aid courses came rushing back to me when the person doing it, I can't remember now, said, sometimes it's difficult to know if your dog is dead. Yes. <laughs> so take it from there. 
Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's obviously a little bit um, sort of grim, isn't it? But we we definitely need to determine whether the dog is actually passed away or not. Um, and there's a, there's a few signs that you can look for. Mainly, it's what we're what we're looking for is uh, mucous membrane colour. So mucous membrane is um, when you pull the eyelid down, um, that little pink area there, the fleshy bit. That's a mucous membrane. Um, and also the gums. The gums can tell you an awful lot about, about what's going on with the dog. So um, if the dog dog is is still circulating blood then um it's probably a good nice healthy pink color if the dog is is um is uh, deceased it'll be either white or horrible gray color or a blue color um, but the other thing you need to check as well is whether the heart is beating so the heart you need to put your fingers your thumb and your two fingers around the sternum which is um just behind the elbow and that area there is where the heart is sitting in the dog's chest and just put a bit of pressure through your, your thumb and two fingers and you should be able to feel a heartbeat or not and and then the other thing to look at is and feel is the femoral artery. So the femoral artery is the big artery that's on the inside of either back leg um, and it's 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 kind of mid inside thigh so it's it's just in between the two inside thigh muscles above above the um, the knee joint if you like mm. um, put a bit of pressure and then you should be able to feel a femoral artery or not and then the other thing to check is the eyes because the eyes will tell you um, whether the brain is active or not because same with people really um when you cover the eye and then expose the eye to a light source, whether it be daylight or a torchlight, the pupil will constrict and dilate if the dog is alive. Because if the brain is still alive, it's sending messages through the optic nerve backwards and forwards saying we need more light, we need, we need less light. Um, if the dog is deceased, then the pupil is described as fixed and dilated. So it goes like a big black big black circle, big black hole, and, and is there permanently. Um, so there's a few signs. And obviously the breathing as well. Um, you need to look at any nostril twitching um, that indicates a dog is is um, is attempting to breathe. And look at the chest and put your hand on the chest. Can you feel or see any chest movement? So those, those are the vital signs, really. Is it is the dog breathing? Um, you know, is there any circulation, uh, et cetera? And that, of course, is useful, for example, a dog walker where a dog might slip its collar, bolt yes. to a main road, you know, and get hit by a car. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's the difference from being unconscious, isn't it, to, yes. you know, for example, so to have some knowledge on that. I know it's a bit of a heavy way to begin, but um, just thought we'd start start with a bang. But, yeah, you know, yeah. but, you know, on a more sort of practical day-to-day -day level my own current bull terrier prudence who i know you've met yes. at that dog fest <laughs> up in cheshire gosh yeah. must have been 2016 that actually yes i think it was yeah yeah, yeah, a yeah. While back. <laughs> yes well yesterday obviously they're like the princess and the pea the bull terrier so she she must have grazed her foot on our second walk yesterday because yesterday evening she starts the dramatic limping around the flat you know mm. <laughs> so obviously i have a look at it and things it's nothing serious it's just grazed okay and it must have happened because it's dark and we've got debris everywhere because you know we're in London on the pavements and something's obviously just caught it so what would you recommend if that happens you know particularly if you're a dog walker and suddenly a dog in your care starts limping after a walk and you've got to return it to its owner yeah I, th I think what, what dog walkers have to do is inform the owner and um, what they cannot do um, and that's this is because of the Veterinary Surgeons Act um, which came out in 1966 and um, they cannot 
give it a diagnosis. So they cannot say to the owner, oh, your dog has cut its foot. It will be okay to leave. What they should be advising is, oh, your dog cut your foot today. Um, I advise a vet visit um, because then they covered them. But also don't leave it as a verbal because I've had situations. And these stories come up at my um, first aid um, courses Um for example, one dog walker had taken um, a couple of dogs out that had a bit of a scrap. It was nothing. It was just, you know, just handbags. But um, the Labrador had one puncture wound on his head. Uh, the dog walker took him home, um, cleaned it just with plain water, then phoned the owner and said, um, oh, he's got a puncture. She said, oh, I'll come and pick him up. I'm sure he'll be fine. And the dog walker said, you need to pop him to the vets because dog bites can get infected. She says, oh, he'll be all right. And then three days later, it did infect and the dog needed an anaesthetic. It needed uh, opening up, cleaning, putting drains in. Suddenly then it was the dog walker's fault. The, the client completely turned around and said, it's your fault. You never told me that I needed to go to the vets. Um, and the dog walker said, I did, I did, I did. But it wasn't written down. It was just a uh -huh. verbal. So I always advise dog walkers and dog groomers, etc., to have a written form that says Max Smith was bitten by Toby Jones uh, yes. on at three o'clock um, veterinary advice, you know, being given um, to go and see the vet. And then the owner sign it, the dog walker sign it, give them a copy and then keep a copy because then the, the owner can't come back and say, you never told me. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, yes. It's so important. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I know bites, honestly. I mean, I've got a cat called Gremlin and he's always been a bit of a scrapper. You know, he's huge and so yeah. on. And Gremlin by name. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, just before Christmas, anyway, he had he'd been in a punch up, but there was no visible sign. Mm. It, like in the past, he said giant abscesses explode up, and of course, you go to the yeah. vet, and it's but there was nothing untoward about him, you know. And it was only when I realised he was so hot, yes. I thought you've got a massive infection. <laughs> yeah. However, this has happened, you know. So anyway, he's um he's fine again now, you know. But really, something to think about, you know. And, and also, of course, if a dog but bites a human. Exactly. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. But at home, you know, for your regular, you know, dog owner, it, it's it's also important to be aware of, of first aid, really. I yeah, mean, not everyone yeah. uses dog walkers. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, there's nothing stopping uh, dog owners from going to a first aid uh, course. And also I, I do an online one as well, which um, is just easy for owners that, that that don't want to make a, you know, a full day uh, course. Um, they can just do it in their own time at home. But yeah, it's just that basic knowledge, isn't it? Is, is spotting when the dog is unwell, when you when you just said like when the dog's got a fever, when it goes off its food, what could it be? Um, the most commonest injury that we see is just out on a walk and um, cutting its foot on glass but mm. the amount of people that come in owners come in with cut feet and they've, they've not been even been able to stop the bleeding you know they come in with tea towels wrapped around it or a carrier bag taped on you know and just some simple knowledge about tourniqueting or correct bandage techniques is potentially life-saving definitely definitely yeah yeah no absolutely I know mean, I, I was lucky I am um... Oh, one of my best friends was a vet nurse years ago and through yeah. kind of Molly's life, really. And Molly was born with slightly deformed front feet, actually, mm. that caused lots of hard skin to develop, which would crack easily, you know, and so on. So, yeah, Kerry taught me how to bandage a foot. Mm. I'm good, Rachel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, but it, yeah. you know, once you know how to do that's these it, things. That's it. And, exactly, yeah. And stock yeah. up, of course, you know, with this thing called vet wrap. So there was yes. one 
one time you couldn't buy vet wrap and this is kind of before the internet was really big i think it was before amazon i it was you know talking about 2004 basically vets would make you go into the practice oh no no we can't sell you vet wrap yeah. and yeah. i'm like why, why? why not <laughs> well you know because it itself it self adheses and you could do it too tight and then that will stop the blood circulation to the dog's foot and then you're going to have to amputate its paw oh. and i'm like right i'm thinking you know i smell a bit of a rat here really yeah. and because you take <laughs> yeah. your dog in to get bandaged you know she comes out you know with this grand bandage on her foot yeah, that's yeah. cost over a hundred pounds just to get a foot bandaged yeah. you know when actually it is doable at home isn't it Rachel yeah some of the minor ones definitely yeah but then then you you know we sometimes get the other end you know the the other end the other end of the story where you know people leave things way too long <laughs> um and then come into the vets you know and then it's then it's difficult to treat or difficult to repair or difficult to heal because people have left it so you can get the other end of the scale as well where owners just leave things yeah <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I, I'm, I'm, you know, absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it is. It is. I mean, you know, I remember, gosh, we were on a, a photo shoot for the Express, me and Prudence. It was a last minute thing. We had to get the shots. And Prue's being really stubborn about walking along. And anyway, she she managed to rip one of her toenails. This is another common one, of course, is ripping yes. toenails yes. off. Dew claws, um, yes. obviously, are often ripped off in, in a play or they can get caught in brambles, you know, depending on your dog. And my word, toenails can bleed, can't they, bleed. they Rachel? Yes, they um, bleed. <laughs> but at that time, it was a bank holiday weekend, it happened. It was late on a Friday afternoon and the vet didn't have an appointment for me till the Tuesday. Yes. So I had no choice then, you know, and this was before the pandemic and luckily I was able to do it but I took Prue in for a checkup on the Tuesday and I was I was quite chuffed actually yeah, that and, uh, did uh, compliment uh, me on my bandaging yeah, skills. Uh, and I think I think that's the thing is isn't it is knowing when it's life-threatening and when it isn't you know mm -hmm. um Duclo, you know it may bleed a lot initially but it's it's not life-threatening um you know it, it can wait you know it could wait so yeah then that that's the thing about educating owners is what what is classed you know triaging really is what what is deemed and classed as an emergency you know um that that's really important yeah yeah absolutely absolutely no I, I'm really interested I think I, you know we'll do your online course actually because it's yeah, always well, good I'll, yeah I'll send you the link and then you can you can uh, have a go yeah yeah and certainly all our listeners you know I think it's a great idea to, to be honest with you because everyone does need things you know sort of a go-to in in yeah. situations but what would you do you know for example if you were trimming your cockapoo's beard for example mm. the groomers are fully booked really it's gone really brown foods getting stuck in that yeah. beard <laughs> and it's pretty grim and then accidentally the cockapoo will move its head and yikes the scissors have gone on the lip yeah and um, with that again it won't be life threatening but there'll be a lot of blood uh you need to put pressure on it so cold pressure is usually good so wet a tea towel or something like that and then just keep pressure on for sort of five eight minutes um and keep taking taking the pressure off and see if it stopped bleeding um i mean if it continues to go like gush um as soon as you've taken the the, the cold compress off then you know it's a good indication that it probably maybe needs a stitching um mm. yeah yeah, and that's actually a common injury with groomers, actually, because the dog moves and or sometimes licks its lips. That's another common one. Um, oh. it'll it'll stick its tongue out and then get its its tongue scissored. Yeah, oh, that's a common don't. one. 
Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh dear. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Exactly. So so would you use an ice cube maybe in that situation? You could do. Yeah. As long as it's covered and um, don't put it on directly, um, because that can kill the tissue, um, completely. But yeah, just just wrap wrap something cool or cold in, in a tea towel and, and put pressure on. Yeah. Because that that vasoconstricts. You see. Um. So it reduces the blood flow to that to that area. Yeah, 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 of course, absolutely. No, it's some really good tips. I hope people are writing this down. Um, now, the other big thing, which has, because I've had uh, a bull terrier <laughs> all my life, um, really, is choking. I had one oh, incident, yeah. God, where Molly swallowed a whole knuckle end of a rawhide chew. Yes. Um, this was 2005. Obviously, since then, I've never bought a rawhide chew ever since and don't recommend them to anybody for lots of reasons, not least their choking potential. I was in the room, she wasn't unattended, and mm. it just accidentally, because they go all mushy, slid down. wasn't too bad at the Queen Mother Hospital. It's extraordinary how vet prices, I, I always have to say, <laughs> have absolutely soared, not in line with inflation at all. Mm. But uh, that's for another podcast episode. Yes, it was one of the more cheaper vet bills, actually, in the end, to actually save her life. Yeah, yeah, that was dreadful. And of course, it always happens out of vet hours. That's yes. the other thing. <laughs> if there's going to be an accident, it's never in vet hours and it's yeah, never on a yeah. weekday. Yeah, bank holiday Monday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, luckily, Kerry was around and, 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 you know, we did what we could, but um, it, it had got quite bad quite quickly. Anyway, long story, she lived and, and that was fine. And the, the best vet in the world actually happened to do her surgery. He was a student at the time, Rob Goggs. Oh, who's gone, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm glad, you know, Molly helped him have experience, if you like. Yeah. So he, he was brilliant. He was brilliant with me as well. And that's Good. also, yeah, honestly, can't say anything at all I'm mean, really brilliant oh god I I sent him champagne I sent him <laughs> I actually sent him and thank you gifts it's running into Christmas when it will happen um I sent him a hot water bottle with Molly's face on it <laughs> that's great you know, maybe he's quite a scientist you know what I mean so he got this hot water bottle with Molly wearing sunglasses on the front and um he said I've never seen anything quite like this before he rang me to thank me <laughs> so funny anyway I was all but um yeah so what do you do if you think your dog has swallowed something you know your back was turned for half a second mm. and oops something's you know causing retching yeah I, I, and I think uh, I think people are caught out because people don't realize actually how flexible the dog's esophagus is you know with them being um sort of predators if you like um their their esophagus is 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 designed to flex and be flexible so when you know they're not designed to chew food into small pieces like like a, a um like a horse let's say like a herbivore they're designed to grab rip and swallow whole you know if you've ever, I've got labradors have you ever seen a labrador eat or you know it's like <laughs> Everything, everything has got to go down in one go. Um, so this is why these objects, um, you know, play things like balls and things like that slip down really easily because the esophagus is flexible. So um, a few things can happen. It can either slip down and just stop at, um, at the, the larynx area because there's a bit of a narrowing there. And that's when you generally get the um, the, the ball choking incidents. Um and then the two items, yeah, they, they kind of slip down and they're just too far down for you to reach with your fingers. Um, and even if you could reach them, um, they're so slimy uh, mm -hmm. that you can't get a hold of them. So um, one of two ways, if it's a ball, then you have to try the Heimlich manoeuvre. Um, now, 
When we say abdominal thrust, we have to use actually the word abdominal thrust because Heimlich now has got um, a copyright on it. So you're not actually allowed to use that word. Um, so we're going to call them abdominal thrusts from now on. Right. Um, but, it, but it means the same thing. So, you um, you know, if everybody's seen the film Mrs. Doubtfire, then they know that scene. Yes. <laughs> in the oh, restaurant with, with the prawn. Um, yes, that's what you need to do is get behind your dog, um, around the waist, underneath the rib cage where the diaphragm is, and you put your both hands into like a fist formation and like you would a person really it's just hard thrusts in and up um half a dozen times if that fails and it's going to be stressful you need to bundle the dog into the car and then off to the vets because if the dog is choking um but still getting a little bit of air around um the dog will be panicking so much that we will potentially just um sedate the dog straight away so somebody's job will be to jab the dog quickly or if the dog is able to get um, an iv line in and we knock the dog straight out so then we can we can um, get the object out um there's actually um, a method going around on on social media at the moment um a really good video um, of if the dog um, collapses and it's a ball stuck in the throat and the Heimlich manoeuvre has failed, you need to pop the dog on its back. And you can only do this one if the dog is unconscious. Um, and you need to run your thumbs up the dog's throat until you feel the shape of the larynx, because that's where the ball is stuck. And then you push as hard as you can underneath the larynx so you're pushing the ball out. Right. And there's actually three really good videos on, on the internet at the moment showing you how to do that. Um, but that's the only way you can get a ball out. Out. any of the other things like high chews and things you might have to reach down with some long pliers and, and grip it and then pull it out that's the only other way to do it so difficult though because you'll be panicking that's yes. the problem yes and of course yes. the stress is contagious from you to the dog exactly and exactly. you you know um well if anyone's like me you know be completely in meltdown it was only when I finally pulled myself together you know with Molly you know I got her up to you know the QMH and everything mm. but you know say it was okay but you know but that's why yes you know again knowledge about toys really yes yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 making sure that you you know you're playing with appropriate toys with the dog you know balls with ropes on um i mean the we see an awful lot of dogs choking on on tennis balls you know the amount of german shepherds um dobermans the larger labradors the big golden retrievers playing with tennis balls they are a choking hazard there's mm. you know if if that ball is thrown and the dog catches it at, at the right velocity um or the right angle it will go down um so my, my labrador my smallest labrador Labrador's 23, 24 kilos. She's quite diddy. So she's probably the smallest Labrador I would, I would allow to play a tennis ball. Anything bigger than that, you're going to have to have the, the good quality balls with ropes on, uh, things like that is, is much, much safer. Yeah. 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 No, I, gosh, I really agree. I mean, I find the market for dogs balls is a bit disappointing, really. Yes. You know, yes. Actually. Yes. I mean, a most of them has squeaks in, which for me, I'm sure you'll agree. It's not yes. ideal. You know, we don't like squeaks. But then for terriers, squeaks kind of totally become the main thing. And if you're trying yeah. to do training and use play as a reward, yes. they want the squeak rather yes. than the game. And you are absolutely nowhere on the pecking list at the moment because it's yeah. a squeak. It's way more interesting. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, even there's, I won't obviously mention any brands, but, you know, I use tennis balls with Prue, but she is okay. She actually, she's a minute 
miniature bull terrier. Yeah, and she's she, small. She, yeah. yeah, she can't swallow a tennis ball. But, you know, I wanted to get her off tennis balls at one point because I was really worried about chemicals in them, I'll be honest. But mm. they, they work. Unfortunately, there is something about the smell of a tennis ball, which yes. is obviously why the police <laughs> and the army use them. Exactly, you know? yeah. I mean, And, and uh, it's uh, the bounce. It's the bounce. There's something in it, you know, yeah, yeah. that no other ball has got apart from a, I call it, you know, a Wimbledon tennis ball. Yeah, um, yeah. We use, well, I wouldn't say with the brand, I'm not being I'm not invested into the <laughs> brand of tennis balls in any way, but, but they're, they're, they work but yeah, but anyway but, yeah. but you know I can't find a ball actually you know they're smaller on the whole is what I'm yes, trying to say yeah than than an average Slazenger tennis ball there you go yeah <laughs> so that's rubbish yeah yeah and and I think and um, the most commonest ball that we see is is it's just a very heavy rubber ball it's just marginally smaller than a tennis ball yeah so, it's orange the, the very, I know the yeah, one <laughs> yeah and they're very smooth and and heavy so you know if somebody's throwing that and it's already wet from saliva or the grass and a 38 kilo um you know golden retriever leaps up to catch that the velocity of that coming down is just going to go what oh, in the back of the throat yeah scary yeah. it's scary yeah. it's scary yeah. it's making me you know yeah. um that's why I could never have been a vet nurse or a vet it's moments like this I you know I just find it makes me go whoa <laughs> and then of course just you know I suppose helping people understand that to play with a stick mm. is probably your <laughs> your license to go to the vet <laughs> yes you know it, you know it might not happen in in five ten years but when it does happen it can be cat- you know catastrophic um because when the dog lands on a broken stick it can oh, it can go, go it's happening again yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, it can go into the chest cavity. The other one is as they try and they run into it and try and pick it up, it can um, go back into the back of the throat and then pierce all the soft tissue in the back of the throat. But the other the other dangerous one is if it pierces underneath the tongue because the tongue has got a big artery underneath the tongue called the lingual artery. Um, and they will bleed to death from that because um, it's very difficult to stop. Oh, and then there was a lab, um, no, not Labrador. I just was thinking about your dogs, but it was on BBC London News only last week, actually. I'm trying to get them onto the radio show. I think they lived in Marlow. It's a Dalmatian. Lovely story, lovely man. You know, it's Dalmatian walking along by the river. Dalmatian goes off scavenging, being a Dalmatian, and comes back to his owner with blood pouring out of his mouth. Oh, he'd eaten a fishing hook. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's common. And and I think um if they swallow it and then it, it goes down and gets stuck and the that's trachea, what happens. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. So what tends to happen is you can get the fishing wire hanging out of the mouth and then the big instruction is do not pull it. I think a pet owner might be tempted to pull that, um, but you're not to pull it. Um, and often, I mean, I've seen a few of those where they have to be referred because you have to get a scope uh, down there to to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, scope. That's how um, Rob Goggs got uh, Molly's um, mm. end of the rawhide chew out, actually. Yeah, yeah. And yes, this Dalmatian... Um, yeah, I, 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 they didn't mention how much the surgery was, but, you know, I can actually understand how much yes. it would be. Yeah. Um, so, because poor old Prue had to have an emergency pyothorax. At, oh, just okay. at the, oh, God, at the start of the second lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, um, I know. Yeah, she's still here, you know. So, I mean, that's testament, I think, yes. to uh, <laughs> how robust these dogs are. I mean, dogs are tough, aren't they? Really, they are, right, they are. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, whilst we're panicking, and everything in these situations the funny thing is the dog isn't 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's like, what's all the fuss about? <laughs> yeah, it's like, just get me to the vet. Gosh, Rachel, far away on anything else, you know, you'd like our listeners to kind of key key uh, sound bites, Rachel, just to come to the close of this episode. And you must come back. Yeah, sure, I will. Yeah, I think um, I, I think canine first aid training is is accessible for everybody, you know, dog owners. Uh, I think maybe people do think that they have to go to a class or spend lots of money uh, on a class. Um, not the case. Uh, I, I mean, parents go to first aid pediatric, you know, baby first aid classes, um, and it's just the same. You know, you, you're looking out for for your pet at the end of the day, and and um, if the trip to the vets is is it, you know, it's going to be easy for the animal, and you've you've taken some life saving steps. Uh, then the more likely the dog's going to survive. So yeah, get some education. It's it's not hard. It's not hard at all. And you know, information is power, isn't it, Rachel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, I was told by um, fairly recently, actually, and just just to sort of yeah make that concrete. From um, I do train some of the mountain rescue people, um, and they said um, yeah. The reason you panic or reason that people panic is lack of knowledge. If you've got the knowledge, you're less likely to panic. No, it's interesting. Now, I'm, I'm very jealous, actually, because um, I believe that tomorrow you're jumping on a plane and flying to India. I am, yeah. So I was doing, um, we seem to have this timeline, don't we, before COVID and after COVID. <laughs> but um, before COVID, I was doing quite a lot of volunteer work in Asia, so mainly Thailand. Um, and then I started in India as well. So I was going sort of three or four times a year for two, three weeks at a time working in the shelters. Um, so from a behaviour point of view, it's 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 fascinating watching and having to deal with, this, with the street dogs. Um, from a behaviour point of view, you see how dogs communicate, um, but also from a handling point of view, viewers as to how how to handle these dogs and make sure you don't get bitten <laughs> but yes. also but also um seeing uh from from a veterinary side as well is just all the things that you know we see in that country but not in the uk so it just adds depth and experience really to, to my first aid um, um training but um you know it's, it's giving back that's the main thing i mean i'm, I'm going on monday uh, friday and on monday i'm teaching at um the because because the big cities in asia especially malaysia and india there's actually a, a booming pet trade um so i'm actually teaching um at the big academy for for dog grooming so it's the professional groomers association of india um and they've got a big academy in mumbai so i'm actually teaching first aid there um and then via somebody else um as there's um, a big rehab place dog rehab place in in uh, mumbai for street dogs as well so i'm going to spend a few days there um, helping with the nutrient clinics as well so gosh yeah. I know how amazing. Well, when I've been to India three times, I always mm. say this on my podcast, my, my producer's going, oh God, don't go into India again. But no, I absolutely <laughs> love it. I would love yeah. to live there, actually, yeah. to be honest. But in the South, in, in Kerala, I loved Cochin, yes. actually. Yes. It was yes. my favourite. But I did spend a bit of time in Mumbai, actually. Mm. And it did strike me. I remember we went, I don't know what area it was for a meal um, one evening. And there were all these yeah, really well looked after pedigree dogs walking yeah. around, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I was yeah. like, wow, you know, because obviously I missed Molly terribly every time I went. And then you go from there to sort of some, you know, unknown resort on the east side of India, which is mm. less touristy and everything. And that's where I really, really watched so many street dogs. Yeah. And it was my first sort of encounter. And it was really interesting from a yeah. behavior point of view. And yeah, it kind of definitely. debunked 
debunked quite a lot of what we're taught, actually. Yes. You know, because they're, they're quite yes. solitary, actually. They yeah. do actually like to hang out on their own. Yeah, and they do ha- and they do have definite boundaries as well, so territorial boundaries, like, it's, yeah. It's like, <laughs> but that's for all for another episode. But I think you have worked with Mike Dower. Yes, yes. Um, I went out there again before COVID, so it must be five or six years ago, um, with uh, John Rogerson, um, who um, unfortunately, very sadly, passed no, away I know. last week. Uh, I was supposed to meet him in Mumbai, I'd spend some time with him. I was um, going to do his India training course yes. once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I just couldn't leave Molly. That's why I didn't, yeah. I just didn't, because it was three weeks. Yeah. And um, but it was something I really... I, what, Gosh, I I don't still haven't got hold of Sue Evans actually, who I'm sure you know as well. Yes, I do know Sue. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. my mentor actually. Yeah, to find yeah. out what is what happened. Yeah, we don't we don't know actually. Um, it's still um all, all I know that he collapsed at the airport on landing. Um, so yeah, very very sad, very sad because I've known him right from Dogs Trust days because um he was our behaviourist in 1994. So I've known right. I've known him that length of time. And how we got involved with Mike was um, at um, the rescue near Bangkok was he was doing a training course. Um, John, they said, um, hey, come in on this training course. We'll, we'll have you do a day's first aid as part, as part of the, the course. I said, yeah, 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 sure. So, yeah, we had a great time. So so even though um, so they don't really take volunteers at Mike's, um, that I, I'm welcome any time so to help with nutrient clinics. So I think I'm going, yeah, we're going um, for three weeks um, to um, Thailand this year, um, mainly holiday because my, my other half he's coming with us too but I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna pop and see Mike yeah oh brilliant no I know I'd love to go out there as well actually yeah yeah you yeah. know but oh, for me I, I I have terrible anxiety um about leaving my animals mm, in in yeah. the care of anyone to be honest with you yeah it's not easy it really isn't you know um, I know I miss the chance to do that India training with with John I mean he really you know his advice is so absolutely brilliant yeah and it's just really it's really basic and straightforward and and non-complicated exactly exactly because you training a dog isn't complicated you know some people I think really make it out to be this huge scientific yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you've got to learn all the science and so on and so forth when, you know, someone just really wants to sort out some basic things with yeah. their dogs yeah, and you exactly. can explain it really simply. But of course, John was the master of reverse psychology. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes love that. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. yeah, he was great. <laughs> oh, well, look, it's such a sad note um, to, to talk about, but nonetheless, well, hopefully a tribute, really. Yes, to, definitely um, a tribute, yeah. Yeah, to the Dog Dog Vinci Code, which yes. is the book <laughs> that he's famous for that really everyone should Google and buy, to be honest with you. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think I've got two or three copies. Of have you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Rachel, look, thank you for this. Listen, have a brilliant time in Mumbai. And- I will. Thank you. Yeah, because I know there is the Indian Kennel Club. They do have a kennel club. It's brilliant, really. And, you know, cruelty and neglect out there, you know, it's not done, as I saw some terrible things, but, you know, it's not done on purpose. You know, Mm. it's done through poverty. And India is an eye-opening visit for anyone, you know, on so many different levels. So it's not 
the same as here with cruelty and neglect, you know. So, mm. you know, dogs are hit by cars and so on and so forth. But and it's just done out of the need for survival. And it is such there were five C's I described India. God, obviously, one started with cows, another was colorful, another was chaos. And I can't remember. I spent ages thinking about these, the five alliterations <laughs> to describe. Cacophony was another yeah. one because you get to <laughs> India, get off the plane, you're absolutely knackered, yeah. and then that's it. You're hit by yeah. this. <laughs> yes. Oh, crazy! Yeah. It's all going off everywhere, yeah. and it's really hot, and you're just thinking, "Whoa! I thought London was crazy." <laughs> um, but listen, I really hope you have an amazing time, and thank you. All the links are going to be in the show notes, Rachel, for okay. people to yeah. subscribe to your online course. Yeah, I'll send the link. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you again. Okay. Thank you for asking me. That's our show, Mr. Binks. What did you think? Yes, I know. Well, we are lucky to have Vet Rap always in the house. And you're right. It's time for Woof of the Week. A dog can cut its paw so easily on a walk, either on a sharp stone or on a piece of glass. So be prepared. Take a little first aid kit with you on your walks and also have one at home. Well, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please rate and review the show wherever you tune into your podcasts. Thanks again, of course, to Rachel Bean for joining us today. And all the links are, yes, you've got it, in the show notes. And thanks again to Mike Hansen, my producer, for all the music and production as ever. Find out more about him at Pod People UK. And I'm at Anna Web Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Yes, you're right. You can subscribe for free and we will be back in your feed next Sunday. So subscribe now and you'll never miss another show. Also, if you fancy checking out some special goodies recorded for a Dogs Life Club members, visit our Patreon link, which is also in the show notes. Bye for now.